Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF with your co-anchors Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. And you might have noticed something new. We are podcasting live from the Lower East Side in Manhattan at the PNT Knitwear Store, which has a beautiful podcast studio, which heard all about Legal AF and said, we got to get these co-anchors into a room together for the first time in two years. And here we are, Karen. I am so thrilled to do this with you in a real studio. Yeah, it's exciting. I also, yeah. I feel so hip. I mean, we're yes. in the Lower East Side, which is one of the hippest parts of Manhattan. Absolutely. It's like, it's not morning Joe, it's like afternoon Joe. <laughs> uh, and I have a little connection to Lower East Side. And as I'm sure Karen may also, my immigrant uh, great-grandparents uh, came through Ellis Island and Statue of Liberty, of course. And one of my grandparents was pushing a cart selling stockings as an eight-year-old on Orchard Street before he ended up becoming a owner of a factory that manufactured stockings, but literally was an eight-year-old who dropped out of school in fourth grade and started on Orchard Street. And now Karen and I are back on Orchard Street doing a podcast. Totally crazy. We are going to cover, as always, the most consequential stories at the midweek at the intersection of law and politics. And we'd be remiss if we didn't kick it off with sort of a legal analysis through the legal AF lens of what just happened last night and this morning on election day. A tremendous, we'll call it a victory, result for the Democrats and for those that fly the blue flag. Because at the end of the day, this was the best result for a party in power, a president in power, who originally had all the chambers of Congress at the midterm. In a way, it may end up being the best result in a century in terms of seats that were gained, the Senate that was retained, and the House, even though we're going to lose the House, losing it by very, very little. No one, maybe the legal IF and Midas Touch Brothers, thought that this was possible. But the reality is there is a complete rejection at, at the midterm of MAGA Republican ideals of Trumpism. There's no other way to interpret these results. And of course, we haven't seen the analytical breakdown yet, but I would be shocked, and I want to get your opinion, Karen, if women voters and like-minded men who support women and women issues didn't help turn the tide in a number of these uh, jurisdictions in favor of the Democratic uh, uh, candidates and ideals. And I want to talk specifically, Karen, before I get your your uh, your welcomed opinion here, about abortion was literally on the ballot in at least five states, and overwhelmingly voters have supported, one way or the other, a woman's right to choose. So in Michigan, as of yesterday, we now have a new state constitutional right for a woman to choose that went that uh, prevailed 56% to 44% in Kentucky of all places in Kentucky of all places they rejected by 52 to 47% a total a, a ban on abortion in their constitution in Vermont we have a new state constitutional right for a woman to choose which won overwhelmingly 77% to 22% California of course we have a new constitutional right in their state constitution for an abortion at 63% to 35%. And Montana, again, of all places, 
also had a very pro-woman's right to choose result in rejecting the criminalization of aspects of doctors providing abortion services. Overall, I thought I'd be in a fetal position when I woke up this morning, and instead I'm here celebrating with my co-anchor, Karen Freeman at Niffalo. Karen, what's your takeaway from election night? So the red tsunami that everybody was predicting is turning out to be more like a, a red ripple. So uh, if at all, I mean, it looks like hopefully there's still a chance and it's still a path forward for the Democrats to stay in Congress. And and I think that uh, stay in power, I should say, in Congress. And so I think that I think you put it beautifully about how women and minorities really carried the day. Uh, across the nation. And I think that's really what it's going to show. I think, I don't, I, I'm not really sure why the, um, the, the media got it so wrong and, um, and why they felt so emboldened to predict this red tsunami. But it's just heartening to see that, that grassroots movements and the voters still come out and make a difference. And it really does count. I, I was absolutely, for, for whatever reason, the one that I was happiest about was the the Fetterman Oz. Um, oh, that was so. Oh, I mean, I was so relieved, and I, just to not have Doctor Oz as a senator after what he did and and who he is. And, I, and I was, for a doctor, allegedly a medical doctor, yeah, to attack somebody it was disgraceful. And a po it was disgraceful. That's the right way to put it. And John Fetterman was way up in the polls prior to, and unfortunately, having a medical condition, a stroke. And and look what the what the uh, electors, the the uh, voters of Pennsylvania have done. Not only have they sent a Jewish American uh, uh, man to the governor's house in in a total rejection of anti-Semitism by the Republican yeah. candidate, um, they've also returned the state house to the primarily to the Democrats and have sent John Fetterman. And I guess he'll be wearing some sort of dress sweatsuit uh, to his swearing in to the U.S. Senate. And why is the Senate so important, Karen? Let's talk about that for a moment. I don't want to lose any part of Congress, but if I had to lose one, I would give up the House if somebody made me that devil's bargain to win again the Senate. The Senate is the place that confirms federal judges. Sure. The Senate is the place, not the House, that if there is an opening, on the U.S. Supreme Court, and we and listen, we don't know what life has in store for anybody, including our my podcast team here. Something could happen between now and Biden, the end of Biden's first term or his second term, and we're going to need to fill a Supreme Court seat. And you know what Mitch McConnell had he been, if he ends up if he ends up being the Senate Majority Leader, which he's not going to be. What he would do if there was an opening on the Supreme Court, he would say, oh, sorry, divided government too close to the election. We're going to keep that seat open the way they did in denying Merrick Garland his seat. But now, but of course, it, double standard with Amy Coney Barrett. Right? Of course, they slammed her through in 37 yeah, days yeah. at the end of the Trump administration. So, of, of course, double standard. But, you know, he's crazy as a fox, Mitch McConnell. Thank God it looks like it's going to be Chuck Schumer. And um, but. We can't give up in our efforts, the legal a effort efforts in terms of Georgia. Uh, if if uh, Reverend Warnock is going to be in a yet another runoff, he being battle tested in implementing and activating the grassroots uh, that's necessary to get the church groups to the polls, to get uh, what they call souls to the polls, to get um, all the other young people, Gen Z, Gen X and everybody else that 
uh, favors democracy and progressive issues, getting them to the polls in the beginning of December for the likely runoff is going to be supremely important. My gut is his ground game is going to beat Herschel Walker's ground game. Herschel Walker's only ground game is when he, you know, 30 years ago when he ran for the Georgia Bulldogs. His ground game as a politician is terrible. Donald Trump is more of a hindrance than an asset, as we've seen time and time again off the election. And so if I, if I was a betting man, which I am, I bet on Reverend Warnock to win the runoff in December. And we're back to 50-50 with Democrats back in control, meaning we're back talking about confirmed federal judges that Biden has appointed at record speed through the second half of his term. Really, really important yeah. for people to follow and listen to our podcast. So that's our uh, sort of hook for the beginning of the podcast. I if, just really quick, yeah. the one that I was most disappointed with was Beta O'Rourke. That one made me sad. I mean, it's Texas, yeah. so what do you expect? Stacey but... Abrams made me sad that she lost as well. They lost by similar amounts. Look, it's it support for the incumbent is stubborn. Um, racism in this country is stubborn. Texas is a very difficult place to turn True. blue as much as we like to call it purple. Um, it really, if it's purple, it's a very dark, almost red purple. It's not, you know, maybe in 20 years um, that'll change. Well, it's Austin and everything else. It's Austin and everything else. And if you rack up the numbers in Austin, um, and, and, and those people that follow this podcast and the Midas Touch Brothers podcast closely, I, I, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on the coronation of Ron DeSantis. I lived in Florida for 20 years. I have a pretty good pulse on what's going on in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County as a result. Um, it's no surprise that he ran up the totals. And actually, since Jeb Bush is the first Republican to um, win Miami-Dade County, that has more to do with a, a very unique Latin American voter population in Florida, which because of the Cuban population and the Venezuelan population in the last 10 years, trends Republican nationally, where the Hispanic population is 70% overwhelmingly Democratic, he will fare less well. So the fact that he ran up the numbers against a relatively weak candidate that's not well liked in Charlie Crist, I don't want people to think, oh God, he's gonna be, he's gonna be a walkover over a Joe Biden. And don't count Joe Biden out if we've learned anything from the midterm election is that people did not run away from Joe Biden or his policies. In fact, they, they evaluated candidate by candidate and the crazier and more MAGA the candidate, the less likely that person was to be elected or reelected. And that should hold through uh, all the way to 2024. Well, I think, that, I think that the Republican misinformation machine is doing this systematic uh, kind of Biden is old, he's weak, he's failing. He, you know, at one point I saw a headline, you know, he tripped and or he fell off a stage. And I watched yeah. the video. He didn't. You know, it's they're just and even if to he did, even if he did, look, I, one thing we I think we've all learned is that um vulgar chants to go F the president and all these other things that are mainly a lot of Russian trolls also promoting um destabilizing imagery about Biden. Let's be frank, they're working overtime to create a civil war in this country. The Russians and the Chinese, they're doing a pretty good job and we're letting them do a pretty good job. But at the end of the day, vulgar chants don't win an election. Vulgar chants don't get your candidate elected. 
you know, I was joking with one of my colleagues today that at the New York Rangers hockey games, 30, 40 years later, after the guy is retired, they're still chanting at every game right, at some guess, point. Yes. Um, what's his name? Pot Van. Pot Van Socks. Yes, Pot that's Van what it is. Sucks. Pot Van Socks. Pot, Pot Van, Van Socks. Yes. The guy has been retired yes. for 40 years. He they was, still do it. He yeah. was on the Islanders when they won five championships a long, long time ago. People think it's funny. They drink a beer. But that kind that's the equivalent of, you know, let's go Brandon for me because it has the same impact on the game score. Right. The Rangers win or lose. It doesn't depend on the chant in the stands. And, you know, I have a neighbor that just put up on his flagpole. I can't believe it. And uh, he's this 80 year old guy I live next door to. He just put up an ultra MAGA flag. Of course, I bought a uh, Trump for prison flag. So I'm going to be flying uh, right, next uh, now, to right next to it's it. It's like you're just going yeah. like, to get to a fight. But so, let me ask you a question. Sure. Who, how does uh, how does DeSantis versus Trump? Well, you know, that's funny. I was I agree with you. I think I think that's going to end up being where it is. Trump has to run. He has to on the 15th announce that he's running for office because Why the 15th? he's I don't know. He just picked it after the midterms. And I know there's no particular uh, okay. day, no, but he has to run because he doesn't want to get prosecuted. Right. He, a he, he's a riverboat gambler with nothing to lose. And he has to run because, um, you know, his liberty is at stake um, and, and he will do anything. Um, to make the Department of Justice think twice about indicting candidate Trump in the way that they're not doing it currently as citizen Trump. And DeSantis, because of his unbridled, um, his unbridled ambition, is going to have to run. And I don't think they don't like each other and no one's going to be able to broker, you know, Ron, why don't you wait? Right. Your time, you're only 44, right. your time will come. No one's going to step into that fray. So the, there's going to be a bruiser of a it's primary going to be a bruiser. I mean, when you when you look at the two of them next to each other, DeSantis is Ivy League educated, right. Harvard, Yale or Yale, Harvard. I can't remember. Yeah. Military, Navy SEAL, this and that. I mean, so he's yeah. smart and he's tough. And that's scary when you have the same polit when you have the politics that he has. But him versus Trump, who's just like a fake phony. You know, well, media the, hack who got out, tried to get out of the going to the military by making, uh, you know, his, the heel spurs, yeah, the heel spurs or whatever. Did, I mean, I, I it's almost like for sport. I want to watch them up against each other. Did you see did you see that when Trump was boarding an airplane from one of the rallies, he told the reporters from the from the uh, uh, stairs, you know, the staircase leading to the plane. Oh, I have a lot of information, insider information about Ron DeSantis. That is not very favorable. And his wife's really running the campaign. I mean, his continued misogyny, where he has to call out yeah. that, you know, a smart woman who's, yeah. who's standing next to DeSantis is really the brains in the operation. I mean, it's just too much. But by the way, I don't know about you, but I'm really getting a kick out of having you on my elbow and me on your elbow and being able to turn to you it's more and fun. talk to you. It's been two it's like years. It's a conversation. It's a real conversation here at PT Knitwear Podcast Studio. Lower East Side. Needle. By the way, my grandfather also came through Ellis Island, also pushed a cart, but he was on Delancey Street. Oh, oh. see, Our, we might have had competitor grandfathers <laughs> selling schmatas. That's a legal term. <laughs> you guys can look it up. All right, let's move on uh, to what everybody's looking for, our brand of analysis about legal and political issues. And let's talk about the what the Department of Justice did um, getting our money's worth with this Department of Justice led by Merrick Garland to monitor the polls during yesterday's election. And let me set the stage and then I'll turn it over to Karen. I'll turn it over to you, Karen. 
So the Justice Department and primarily its Civil Rights Division and other agencies coordinated with it, including the FBI, um, expanded their in-person monitoring, which they've done every year really since the Voting Rights Act was passed. This year, they upped the amount of jurisdictions that they monitored in person to 64 jurisdictions in 24 states. That's up from 44 jurisdictions in 18 states in 2020. The new states that were added this year should come as no surprise if anybody's been monitoring social media over the last couple of years. Alaska, Sarah Palin, Arkansas, Missouri, Nevada, New York, of all things, Rhode Island and Utah have all been added to the list the Department of Justice is monitoring. And what they do is generally either inside the polling station, the precinct or the district, or outside making themselves available, they watch for a number of things, Karen. They watch for voter fraud or reports of voter fraud. Somebody showing up with a, having voted somewhere else or the IDs don't match or uh, dead people voting, all those things that Trump likes to talk about that rarely actually happen. And, and the more uh, acute problem and the more thing they're really looking for is voter intimidation, which is people showing up with a gun on their hip in an open carry state trying to glare at the voter next to them to vote the quote unquote right way or making attacks on people verbally in parking lots. I mean, look, uh, I talked about it uh, two years ago when Joe Biden uh, won his presidency. I was down in Miami doing poll watching on behalf of the Democratic Party. And since I had moved from Florida, I had to do it outside, not inside. You have to be a resident of, uh, of Florida in order to be inside the poll generally. But I was outside and the vitriol and the attacks and the disgusting and obscene things that were being yelled at church buses that were being brought in to vote at a public library in my in my original home in my hometown in Florida, Coral Gables, would have I mean would just make you throw up and your eyes pop out at the same time. The things they were saying about Joe Biden, the things they were saying about Kamala Harris, you can you can use your imagination about what those things were, um, were just really a, a beyond you know, political hackery, which we're going to talk about in our in one of our uh, segments today about about Colonel uh, Vidman's case against Donald Trump. It goes it goes beyond that. It goes into just really obscene, in, impolite, improper, which is meant to intimidate. They had these giant Trump flags, uh, almost like uh, bayonets, and the yelling and the screaming. Even though across the street, I'm telling you, there are some people that turned away and did not vote because they didn't wanna walk into that maelstrom. There was one young woman, a, a Republican, I talked about her a year and a half ago, or two years ago, a, a young Republican woman, Hispanic American, who was embarrassed about what they were yelling and screaming to intimidate people, including at the church bus, and she ran across the street to confront them, and guess who got arrested by the local police? She did, because she thumped one of them on the chest and they feigned, uh, an assault and got her arrested. But this voter intimidation is really, really important. You saw what was happening in Arizona last week, right? We'll talk about it. Yeah, no, they were, yeah. there were these vigilante groups that were wearing tactical gear and and um, gun, they were armed mm -hmm. and wearing vests and just standing outside these drop boxes and ballot for boxes. For early voting. Yeah, for yeah. early voting. Yeah. I mean, if that's not, you know, they, they say, oh, we're here to protect them. But I mean, if that's not intimidating, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's plenty of people that, draw. it's not the vote that's cast, it's the vote that's not cast because of intimidation. That's what the Department of Justice is trying to get to the bottom of. So 
Good news is that your Department of Justice, ladies and gentlemen, are hard at work protecting the vote under the Voting Rights Act and all the other um, federal election law about um, keeping fraud out of the election. But of course, uh, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Ron DeSantis again and the Florida Department of State challenging, along with um, a couple of other uh, red states, the Department of Justice entering polling places to monitor. In fact, I don't know if you saw this, Karen, the Secretary of State uh, Office for Florida and its general counsel wrote a very strong letter to blow the Department of Justice off the ball and to uh, have them not and tell them they're not welcome inside the polling place because under Florida's statute- yeah, McVeigh, right? Yes, exactly. Um, under Florida's statute, there's a limitation on who can be in, in the room, generally starts with a resident of the state and a representative of one of the political parties. And they actually had, talk about gaslighting, they actually had the brass ones to accuse the Department of Justice of intimidating people, because if there was a couple of suited Department of Justice people standing in a corner, that would make people feel not uh, unsafe about their vote. I mean, that's how ludicrous it is. What did you make of Florida's challenge? Uh, and to the Department of Justice in, in, uh, upping their game in monitoring the vote this year. What do you think about all that? Yeah, it's 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 given what's going on in this country. I think it's really really important that the Department of Justice is doing this. There is so much intimidation happening, um, but it's really causing a lot of issues in certain places, like you said, Florida. Uh, there is a, an exception in the Florida law where law enforcement can go inside, and many people believe or think that prosecutors. Uh, are law enforcement, but interestingly, prosecutors are not law enforcement. And, and that was always a, a, a strange, um, a, some strange we had to deal with when, when I was a prosecutor, because you always think of yourself as law enforcement, but they're not. And so that's why they couldn't fall into that exception and go inside. So they stood outside and they tried to watch what was going on. But, you know, it, it just sort of shows the, the federal state kind of, you know, balance and and what goes on when when the when the federal government and the state government interact with one another. And there really is states' rights. You know, the federal government isn't all all powerful. And I think that's what I that's what I took from this is you, you see these red states who are chafing at a Department of Justice that's coming uh from Joe Biden, I, I, you couldn't help but wonder if this was um, Donald Trump's Department of Justice, if they would take that same position mm -hmm. or if they would let them in. And I'm sure we all know the answer to that. And he did it. I mean, there was reporting that Donald Trump in, in, in for his election, so to speak, he sent in uh, federal monitors, DOJ monitors under Bill Barr's DOJ in at least six states. But of course, as, as you said earlier today, oh, that's different because it was Donald Trump. And this is now Biden's Department of Justice. But you're right. Now, you made a very good point as a former prosecutor, Karen, that um, you were one of the chief legal officers for uh, for Manhattan. Uh, and your boss was the chief legal officer for Manhattan. But you're not law enforcement. Correct. The attorney general, Tish James for New York, for instance, is the chief legal officer for the state. But she's not the chief law enforcement officer for the state. Correct. And that is a difference. You work hand in glove with investigative agencies and law enforcement like the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the State Bureau of Investigation or the, um, what is it in New York? The, the, they don't have an SBI in New York, no, do they? No. What is it in New York? 
Oh, it's New York State Police. It's the it's the troopers. Yeah, the state troopers have a division that works closely with you folks. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. I learned something uh, new. But we we yeah. we mostly work. The city mostly ninety nine percent works with um, the NYPD. Right. And the rest of the state is the troopers. But mm -hmm. there are some there are some state troopers. You know, now that jurisdictions are sort of boundless, it's you know. Yeah. Very very interesting. So um, we have, uh, but the good news is, you know, everybody sits around and it's, it's easy to take pot shots at Merrick Garland. Our opinion about Merrick Garland and the um, the mature, sober approach he's taking to the possible indictment of the first president in over 270 years of our democracy and why it's important that he, he get it right. There's an old phrase my grandfather, speaking of my grandfather, used to use, which is you measure twice and you cut once, right? Because if you cut before you've measured it properly, you've just screwed up your cut, right? So he's got to get this right. He's only got one chance. Yes, they've been successful 10 and 0 or so in the various cases against the Gen 6 insurrectionists and others, but there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is preparation, preparation, leaving no stone unturned, leaving no witness not interviewed, leaving no document not obtained by subpoena or voluntary production at all. They, when, they, when those prosecutors enter the room, they are the most prepared legal team in that room, bar none, bar none. And they don't kick themselves at all about, oh, we should have done one more thing. We should have tried to remove the attorney-client privilege from White House legal counsel. We should have tried to get the executive privilege challenged successfully so we'd have access to that testimony. We should have tried uh, a, a search warrant if the subpoena didn't work for documents. They're doing it all. They're checking every box. And that's exactly what you want out of a sober, mature, uh, properly led Department of Justice. So that's where we are with that. So let's move on. Just before you sure, move on from, of course. The, from the DOJ, I agree with you what they're doing now. I think also the addition of two very serious prosecutors. Let's talk about that. Real prosecutors, yeah. the prosecutors, prosecutors, the ones that if you are going to take the step and prosecute a president, you want there. And I think, I think you're right, Merrick Garland is absolutely taking this extremely seriously now. I think the frustration is he waited a year and what was he doing for a year? And, I, and that's going to be something that he'll have to answer for, I think, at some point. But I think now it's very clear that they're doing a thorough, serious, methodical yeah. prosecute investigation that will hopefully lead to a prosecution of Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, look, what was he doing for the two years? So he's got 700 um, prosecutions that went on simultaneously of Jan 6 people, and he's gotten 300 convictions. Ten have tested the Department of Justice or so to take them to trial. We're seeing one which will report on... Um, at the next midweek, uh, the Oath Keepers trial going on, but that there was 10 others that preceded it. And um, he's winning all of those. And now they're getting closer to the Mark Meadows and the, um, the, the inner inner circle leading to Trump. I think that the clock has also set them back a bit. They took a break as as part of department policy during the mid uh, during the midterms. They took a public break. They took a public break. That's what I mean. They took a public yeah, they're break. Work, they're still working. Oh, hard. yeah. And yeah. I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about that at, towards the end of the podcast, about what we think now that the um, the, the uh, reins are off, now that the, uh, the gloves are off for the prosecutors, both Fawny Willis in Fulton County, who also had to take a break because 
That's their policy as well for midterm elections. And, and the DOJ, and we'll talk about the reshuffling of the prosecutors and what it means for the Mar-a-Lago prosecution, the fake elector prosecution, the Gen 6 prosecution, and all the other ones that are being led by DOJ in Washington. But let's focus on Trump for a minute. Let's stay in your in your and my uh, neck of the woods. Let's stay in New York. Uh, ben and I reported on last week the um, uh, the New York Attorney General, and just to keep all of us in the in the coloring inside the lines, the New York Attorney General here in her civil capacity, with a tremendous amount of power and authority granted to that position, the New York Attorney General by the New York legislature in something called, we refer to as the Martin Act or 63-12 of the, of the statutes here in New York. And that gives our New York Attorney General a tremendous amount of power that other New York, other Attorney Generals don't have to investigate and to have remedies against persistent fraudulent conduct by anyone, in this case, the Trump Organization and the children of Donald Trump and how they ran that organization, and Donald Trump, of course, himself. The Trump Organization is the subject of a filing um, about six months ago against the Trump Organization for fraud related to loan, loan fraud and tax fraud primarily. They're in front of Judge Engeron, who is a trial-level judge here in Manhattan. And Judge Engeron has almost uniformly ruled, because the evidence leads him to do this, in favor of the New York Attorney General and against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization almost from the very, very beginning. The Trump Organization and its lawyers can't get far enough away from Judge Engeron. They've tried already and, it, and failed to have the case transferred to the complex commercial division. That's failed. The case is staying with Judge Engeron. They've tried to get rid of Judge Engeron by filing in May of last year a injunction suit in the Northern District of New York, federal. That judge rejected removing Judge Engeron and said it's being properly supervised by a state court judge, and that's where it, where, where it will remain. In addition, he's taken Judge Engeron up in terms of, um, and the New York Attorney General up, as far as the Court of Appeals, the highest level court in New York and lost there as well, which is why this silly filing that we talked about last week in Florida, in a Florida state court in Palm Beach County, to try to get a state court judge in Florida to remove the New York Attorney General from the investigation of a New York company is doomed to failure and likely sanctions against Donald Trump. So what has Trump done now that uh, Judge Engeron last week granted the request of the New York Attorney General exercising those broad, strong, robust powers under the Martin Act to have a independent monitor appointed to oversee most of the financial transactions of the Trump Organization, which is a going concern. It still exists. It still owns and operates property, manages property. It still does business. It still is the primary vehicle for Donald Trump to make money besides all of his fraudulent packs that he lines his pocket with. But as a businessman, he does it all through the Trump Organization and other related- Didn't he create the Trump Org too? Yes. To try to, it's like a shell, like- Yes. I mean, he's not even trying to pretend that it's a different company. It's literally, yeah. this one's under indictment. 
or, you know, I should say, well, it is actually. The Trump right. org is right. under indictment and right. being prosecuted by um, by Judge Mershon in, by the Manhattan DA's office, right. which, by the way, has been put off until Thursday. Oh, we're going to resume Thursday they're because supposed, of COVID? Yes, they're supposed to resume Thursday because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, what, what I was saying, um, what I was saying was, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Trump org too. Oh, Trump. <laughs> Trump org too. Yes, I mean, I just can't believe how he, he's such a persistent fraudster, which is what you need to be able to have that power over him. By creating Trump org two and wanting to move everything to Trump org two, to me, it's almost like, you know, res ipsa loquitur, like they teach you in law school, the thing speaks for itself. Exhibit A, you know, look what he's trying to do. I mean, literally, um, uh, Tish James's office, both when on the eve of the hearing to appoint the monitor in New York, they filed this bullshit case in Florida and they just sent it in as Exhibit A to Judge yeah. Engeron and yeah. said, see, yeah, this is he, what they wa do. he wants to secrete assets away from New York. So when we eventually get our $250 million order of disgorgement to take their money back from them, there won't be any assets, see? And then... But to me, that just shows how brazen he is. He thinks you can't even touch him. Kind of like when he said I could go on to Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and they wouldn't prosecute me. He's not even going to, he's going to just call it Trump Org 2. And just because well, they used that too, though. But the, they went to the judge and yeah. said they just, that was the impetus, I think, to file. They had the papers ready, but I think the impetus to file the, the, the what was a preliminary injunction asking the court to enjoin Trump, uh, Trump Organization from doing certain things and add a, add a monitor to it. And we talked a little bit before the podcast about sort of like, you know, we, we throw around terms like independent monitor and uh, special magistrate. And what are all these things? Well, we've talked at length about a special magistrate. Judges, special master. Ju special yeah. master. Thank you. The judges have the power to fashion various what's called provisional remedies, both during the course of a case before judgment and otherwise. If you're in a... Um, if you're in a company or you're a creditor of a company and you think the company is doing things financially false or fraudulent, you can run into court uh, or, or, or there's a deadlock between two owners and the company can't properly transact business anymore because they've literally reached the stalemate. You can run into court and one of the drastic remedies that you can ask for if you satisfy the criteria in any court, uh, it, oops, in, any, in any court, look, Live, live television, ladies and gentlemen. I just, just knocked the microphone with my hand. Um, you can run into court and ask for the extraordinary relief of a receiver. And a receiver is a person appointed by the court who will literally run the business. They take the owners out of the business completely. They run the business. As I said before, if, if this company is, make, is making socks, making and selling socks, the receiver is now in the business of making and selling socks and issuing reports, financial reports, collecting money, hiring and firing employees, buying inventory, placing ads, they're running the business under the supervision of a judge who asked for regular reporting. That's a receiver. That's not what happened with Judge Engron. Nobody, nobody got a receiver. You wouldn't know that in listening to Trump's lawyers who I don't think understand the difference between independent monitors and receivers, because they they made the argument, at least in court, that this was a brand of socialism, that Judge Engeron had just taken over the Trump organization and turned it over to the hands of somebody who's not a business person. That's not what just happened. What happened is that, that um, 
Letitia James was able to prove on the standard that she had to use under the powers of the Martin Act that she was more likely than not to prevail in proving, in proving that Trump and the Trump organization were persistent fraudsters, that they were, unless, unless they were checked by the powers of the court, that they were going to continue to, to commit fraud. And the judge, having heard all the evidence over the last year um, and all the declarations by and all the affidavits and sworn testimony provided by the New York attorney general, said it is more likely than not that you're going to prove that the Trump organization is a frequent recidivist fraudster that needs to be stopped now so that the public isn't further harmed. That was the first finding the judge made. The second finding the judge made is that the public good and the public interest um, the uh, issuing the injunction tips in favor of the public because that's what the New York Attorney General is there to do. Her powers really stem from a doctrine of protecting the public. And so the judge said, yes, it also not only are you going to win, ultimately, I find, but your win is good for the public. And therefore, I'm going to issue the injunction and the specific relief, uh, Madam Attorney General, that you're asking for, I'm going to grant. And that is a limited independent monitor that, that is going to oversee and ask many aspects of the Trump organization, financial affairs, but not all aspects. Any non-cash transaction, the buying and selling or transfer of real estate, for instance, that the Trump organization is thinking about doing now, they're going to have to give 14 days notice to allow the New York Attorney General to come into court and the court to hear argument as to why that should or should not be approved where the court turns to the independent monitor and says, Mr. Independent or Miss Independent Monitor, what do you think? And the independent monitor is usually a business person or a lawyer skilled in the area of business and maybe an accountant or CPA. And these, in this circumstance, will say, I think it's a good thing. I think it's legitimate. No, I think that asset should stay in the Trump organization because of the possibility of a future judgment. So that's one. Trump organization, because of the independent monitor, is not going to be able to shuffle their corporate, their corporate world and move assets from one corporation to another without notice and a hearing, which is also a way to, um, to monitor affairs. So while you have basically non-New York lawyers being retained by Donald Trump, one sits in Jersey, one sits in Florida, jumping up and down about their understanding, as limited as it is, of New York law and the power of the New York Attorney General. Um, from my perspective, I want to hear yours, Karen. Do you think Engeron and Letitia James, given the Martin Act, had the power to do exactly what he just did to fashion the remedy of an independent monitor? What do you think? Well, what I thought was really kind of made me chuckle a little bit was Chris Keiss, who is uh, one of the lawyers for the Trump Organization, accused Engeron of not of grossly um, overstepping, essentially, and saying that uh, the New York Attorney General is trying to interfere in uh, private commercial transactions and it imposes these vague and onerous obligations on, on the Trump Organization and said it's tying up what they say is $5 billion in assets. And it made me laugh because the whole point of this is that this is an overinflated, that he's overinflated the value of his, or under undervalued his assets when it suited him and overvalued them when it did. So I was just curious, this five billion number, is yeah. this, is he, is he just it's over, today. you know, no, is it 10 or is yeah. it, is it, is it one? It would have been know? funny if Judge Engerod said, is it five billion 
or is it 500 million, which yes, is in exa the past? Exactly. That's what, yeah. I, that's what I thought was hoping. Anyway, I, 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 that for whatever reason, that made me chuckle. Do you think he's within his powers as the, as the, as the court given the statute to issue this independent model? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially because of the brazenness with which they just don't care. They're, again, creating Trump Org 2. They're not even hiding it. They're just doing it out in the open because they believe that they are above the law. They can do whatever they want. They can manipulate the court system to their benefit. It's amazing how many, I, I think if you, would, if you were to look at all litigants in, from the history of time, I bet there's not a single person who's had more things go to the Supreme Court of the United States and in such record time than Donald Trump. And he, lose. And, well, but still though, he goes, <laughs> He, he just, he literally, you, you do something at the trial level, then you go to the mid-level, then you go to the, the top court in whatever state you're in. You try to get it to go to federal. And then if the feds take it or don't take it, it doesn't matter. Because if they take it, great. If they don't rule you know, in your favor, then you appeal it. If they decide not to take it, you appeal that too federally. And then you go to the Supreme Court. I mean, it's literally, and if you don't like what's happening in, in New York, you go down to Florida. I mean, this is what they do. This is the Trump playbook. And they, they are using the court system like it's their own personal delay, 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 which is what he does, which is why it's getting to the point where the, these prosecutions and um, lawsuits are all ripening and, and it's closing in on him, which is why on November 15th, he's going to do what everyone knows he's going to do, which is he's going to say, I'm running yeah. again and I'm going to, going to declare because then all of a sudden he's no longer former president and he's just like everybody else. He's now a candidate for the highest political uh, position in the country. And he will say anything that happens is political. And it just, he wants to, he, he's losing in the courts. And so this is his last kind of Hail Mary and he's going to use it. Oh, he, oh he has no choice but to run. I mean, given his mind, his mindset and his mental approach, he's a riverboat gambler with nothing to lose. Yeah. And he's gonna, he's gonna have to run. You know, it looks terrible on a bumper sticker. This is a merchandise idea for the Midas brothers. You know, it looks terrible on a, on a bumper sticker. That's why you'll never see it for Trump. I am 01 and 70 in my legal proceedings. I mean, the guy, he won one count once, didn't even really matter on a procedural issue related to ballots. He's, he's basically 0 and 70, including appellate decisions all the way through. And you can throw Cannon in there. I threw Cannon out because Cannon got ultimately got rejected so quickly by the 11th Circuit. Except that depends on how you measure winning in court, right? If it's, does the court rule for you? I agree with you. If it's, um, has anyone ever taken a penny from this man? Yes. <laughs> Judge Engeron took a $100,000 okay, contempt charge out of him. That's, 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 that's a no, penny. No, no, but he's lost. He's, look, and, the Trump Foundation and, lost by Tish James. And has he ever, has he, anyone put handcuffs on him yet? Has he seen, you know? I, I know the I'm measure saying, is not just, if the measure's handcuffs, I'm no, going to throw the, in my podcasting the, towel. No, but the Owen, <laughs> the, the Owen 70, yes, he loses in court, but he wins because he's not there to win. He's there to delay. And he's there to delay and to put kick the can down the road so that he can declare his candidacy and never be held accountable. So in my view, he he's the ultimate winner if that if we if that happens. And so hopefully, and I know we're going to get to it. Hopefully, um, hopefully they will appoint a special prosecutor when he declares, 
So and it used to be that that would make it not political. He'll make anything political, but oh, at least that'll be the closest thing to not being political. He'll make money on that. All right, we'll have a poll tonight. Biggest winner or biggest loser? Donald Trump. We'll talk. <laughs> discuss. We'll talk about that later. Well, speaking of garbage, let's talk about a new <laughs> sponsor of ours that we love because Karen and I are so in favor of saving the environment and finding ways that everybody can use independently, individually, to contribute to the environment and to continue uh, and to try to get rid of greenhouse gases and all of that. And I'm always struggling to find ways to contribute to the reduction of my carbon footprint. But we have a great new sponsor, Lomi by Pila. And um, listen, I, I, I was never, let's talk about composting, which is what this this kitchen device is going to help everybody do in an amazing, amazing way. I'm going to talk about my own experience with it. But, you know, composting was, wasn't was a thing for me, right? Putting everything in some sort of, you know, bin and letting it do whatever it's going to do naturally and then dump it out in some pile. It sounded like a lot of time, expense, money, waste, and mess. And I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I was always also feeling guilty when I was dumping all of those, you know, those wet, those wet things from my cooking um, and garbage and all of that into my garbage can and not having any place to really put it. I was like, God, this is, I'm contributing to giant landfill piles. And I sort of hated that. So now we have a way to address it. I got a Lomi and I got to use it. And Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with a push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell and it runs really, really quiet. Karen and I were debating before this because we both have Lomi's now. We were debating before this. Is this one of the greatest kitchen tools for the environment or the greatest kitchen tool for the environment? What do you think? I think it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I'm still getting used to it because it's like you. I've never composted inside an apartment. You know, when you live in New York City and you live in an apartment, it's it's definitely a, a new way of thinking. But I, I think it's really exciting. And I, I really uh, applaud them for creating this and giving people an opportunity and an option to, to do something for the environment. So I think it's a great step forward. Yeah. I mean, thanks to Lomi, for instance, Karen, I have way less garbage each week. I went from a few bags down to one. Um, I used it recently. I'll give you an example. I just, uh, there's a, when you see this device, you go on um, at the end, Legal AFers, you'll see on the, on the link that we have here, there's a nice, uh, very substantial, sturdy metal container that's inside the Lomi. I literally, uh, when I was cooking Sunday dinner, and yes, Popak cooks, I just kept that pot in the sink, kind of covering what I used to use, which was the garbage disposal, and everything from my, you know, roasting of vegetables and cooking of meats, anything that was wet, some biodegradable plastics included, I just kind of just threw in there instead of throwing it down the chute or in the garbage can. And by the end of Sunday dinner, I had the entire pot really filled. And then I was able to uh, plug it back in. There's two settings on the Lomi. One is a, an eco setting that's about four or five hours and you get an amount of dirt. But if you have a garden or you have, uh, you're, you're planting something uh, outside, if you live outside of New York in the asphalt jungle and you have a place to, to do some planting or you have home plants or a home vegetable garden uh, inside, you'll, you can use a longer, um, a longer process a longer uh, cycle, and it, it comes out with, with very nutrient-rich 
dirt that you can then use as part of your planting. So um, for me, the whole, uh, the whole being more eco-conscious, meaning more of my uh, garbage and food scraps are not going to landfill and producing methane is really, really important because now I've got nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed my plants. So if legal AFers, if you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. So head to Lomi.com slash, you guessed it, legal AF, L-E-G-A-L-A-F, one word, and use the promo code legal AF, L-E-G-A-L-A-F, to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M, as in Mary, I.com slash legal AF and use promo code legal AF, legal AF at checkout. Food waste is gross, Karen. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list or just for you. Lomi, great sponsor. Love having environmentally sensitive sponsors on here. And transitioning from Lomi and dirt, let's talk about the dirt about Steve Bannon and him avoiding going directly to prison, passing go and collecting $200 because of something that Judge Nichols, uh, who's a DC Circuit Court judge, just did. Recall from our prior discussions, Karen, and legal AFers, that there was a sentencing. People might be pitching themselves. Did I, am I Rip Van Winkle? Didn't I, wasn't there a sentence that was issued? Yeah, and imposed? Months. There was a four month sentence imposed by Bennett. So why aren't we seeing photos of him being locked up and sent to a penitentiary? And here's the reason. Uh, you may recall, Karen, that Judge Nichols is always, he kind of always looks like he's constipated about this issue. He's like, mm. He doesn't like the fact that there's a 1961 uh, precedent on the books in the D.C. Uh, Circuit Court and the D.C. Uh, Appellate Court that says that um, defensive counsel, saying that you relied on your counsel to in your conduct is not a defense for contempt of Congress. He said it's on the books. Advice of counsel. Advice yeah. of counsel, sorry. Uh, whatever I said, it's what Karen just said. Advice of counsel is not a defense according to Judge Nichols and the 1961 precedent. However, Judge Nichols from the very beginning has showed he's been uncomfortable with that precedent, basically inviting from the beginning Bannon to lodge an appeal and to try to avoid it because there's no U.S. Supreme Court precedent that was directly on point. Hard to believe that in 270 years of a Supreme Court, we don't have a precedent on point about somebody that flouts an order of Congress and what you should do about it, but apparently there is not. So Judge Nichols blowing the dog whistle of uh, out loud, saying the quiet part out loud, if you will, that uh, why don't you appeal, Bannon, because I'm a little uncomfortable well, about this. Appeal anyway. um, and I, right. But Judge Nichols said to him at sentencing that, um, and is on the record as saying that he's uncomfortable with having applied that 1961 uh, decision and what it meant for the defense of Steve Bannon. So Steve Bannon's lawyers very smartly, let's give credit where credit is due, asked for a stay of the imprisonment, not the sentencing, the imprisonment, to give him time to stay out on appeal and have the appeal be heard by the D.C. Federal Court Court of Appeals sitting in Washington. And Judge Nichols just did that, Karen, 
under a power that federal judges have under 18 U.S. Code 3143, uh, in which they are able to allow a person having already been sentenced to stay out while he's while it's pending appeal, but only if there's two findings on that. And Carol, let's talk about the two findings that Judge Nichols just made and hear your comment about what just went down with Judge Nichols and Mr. Pannon. Yeah, I mean, when I read uh, what what Judge Nichols said about his discomfort in the law or his questioning on on the law, I read it as much that he was, not that he was signaling to Bannon, but that he was signaling to the appellate courts. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so he put it on the record that he wanted them to know that this was his concern and this is the issue I want you to address. Um, and he had to find, you know, it was a, one, he, it was a one-page uh, order and and he granted him what, what we call in the world of prosecution bail pending appeal. And he's, you know, it happens. And in federal court, the two things he had to find was, A, that he's not a danger to, commu- to the community or that he's likely to flee. And the second thing is that there was a, a major question of law. Um, and that's what he found, or a substantial question of law that uh, needs to be addressed. And he found both of those things. Um, he's probably not likely to flee, but I do think he's a danger to to the community, him and his podcast, and the words and the misinformation that he puts out there, and you know, and all the damage that he did on January sixth. But uh, apparently, that didn't that that didn't um, win the day for for Judge Nichols. But bail pending appeal is something that it happens, and many, many, many defense attorneys request it when uh, they feel there is a substantial question of law that needs to be addressed by by the appellate courts in both federal and state court. The, the th- that's perfect, Karen. The Twitterverse got all up in arms because they read Judge Nichols' decision. And in the decision, he included the magic language that's actually in the statute, which this is, again, a lot of legal pundits don't take the extra time to go look at statutes. And, and they like just tweeting out headlines and getting all their listeners and followers excited. I think we do something different here. I think we get to the bottom, but we give truthful information, facts and analysis uh, that people can rely on. They know if we tell them something, it's true. It's uh, it's a proper prediction. It's a proper set of analyses. So if you look at 18 U.S.C. 3143, the first factor is, as you laid out, danger to the community or safety. And I totally agree with you that you could make an argument that his continued uh, podcasting is not just the free expression of the First Amendment, but as a danger to society. But the second one is it's not... It, he, he, the judge, any judge, has to find that the appeal, yes, raises substantial questions of law and fact, but here's the magic language, that is likely to result in a reversal um, uh, or a new trial. Likely to result well, in right, a reversal. Or new, but what he was saying was, if he wins, he's likely to result. Yes, but that's reversal. not all the Twitter headlines. Yes, all the Twitter exactly. headlines were, Judge Nichols finds it is likely that there'll be a reversal and a new trial, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's why we yeah. do this podcast, yeah, to, to kind of educate people. You're so right. um, uh, what's the end result? Let's, let's bottom line it for our listeners and followers. Bannon remains out pending his appeal. His sentence is stayed, meaning it won't be executed. The federal marshals aren't going to, he's not going to be remanded to the federal marshals. He's not going to go off to a federal detention center awaiting permanent assignment by the Bureau of Prisons to a penitentiary. 
um, uh, a federal a federal penitentiary unless and until um, he loses his appeal. You want to know my prediction? Yeah, well, just let me finish one thing so we get the procedure. D.C. Court of Appeals or the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, he'll likely lose there, then to the Supreme Court. Go ahead. My prediction is he drags his feet. He keeps saying, I need more time for the appeal. I need more time for the appeal. And he'll get one or two. And he'll get one or two. Yeah. He'll drag his feet. And then he will just put the brakes on this until he, President Trump can you know, be President Trump again, or DeSantis or whoever else, and try to get a pardon. Or, so or the new Congress yeah. takes a position. Now, they won't be able to manipulate the Department of Justice and have them you know, withdraw the case because the Department of Justice well, is still done. in the it's control. It's a conviction. It's, it's a conviction, conviction. Right. so it's done. Right, so even the new Congress is not going to help him. Well, they, they can't. Right. So even if the prosecutor, even if a new right. Department of Justice came in and said, we want to withdraw this, now that it's a conviction, right. they'd have to apply to the court, and the court has to dismiss it. So, so at least it's safe in that regard. But his only way out now is a pardon. And so I predict he's going to drag his feet. He doesn't. He doesn't want anyone to rule. They should just all wear "Pardon Me" T-shirts. <laughs> Seriously, that whole group of Trumpers that that are going to just drunk the 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 Kool Aid, literally uh, at at Trump's uh, beckoning, should just wear shirts that say "Pardon Me" because that's all that's all they're doing. They're not fighting for democracy. No. They're they're. They're trying to find ways to avoid uh, culpability and being, and being punished for their own conduct, like children, like children. Um, let's talk about a true American hero. Before you get to sure, that, no problem. This, I just want to comment because, you know, we've never been in the same room before <laughs> and we've never done this. Not together. sure where this is going, ladies and gentlemen, but live, we're live podcasting. I just want to comment. So it just shows you the different, you know, whatever. Like when I prepare, you know, I take notes and I'm on my computer and I you know, have links to things and, you know, all this stuff, like really super organized. I have to read it and reread it. And that's how I prepare. What am I doing? I mean, can I just show this? Like, <laughs> look at this. I mean, because what I will say. I'm prepared. No, no. But look at how you, <laughs> because you are so, the way you describe things is just brilliant. I mean, the I way you are, you are so just good at explaining things and, and taking people through. You're very professorial but, in the best possible way. But not way. from my notes. But I look at this and I just never would have expected this to be, you know. Karen's never seen my prep before I live mean, and in person. I just, you know, it's just, I, I'm just. <laughs> I wasn't sure where that was going, Karen. I'm it's just like, transfixed. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really well prepared and I have everything organized. And then there's you, Popak. No, no, but it's just, I'm just transfixed because right. you present as, just you know this incredibly like yes. whatever this, this is why no this is why no one could ever cheat off my exams in law school because no one can read i barely can read my own handwriting so let, let's talk about we've talked enough i'm exhausted exhausted talking about donald trump today and all the people that are you know crimes against humanity and crimes against democracy let's talk about a true american hero right the vidman brothers yeah. People forget them in this in the backstream of all of what's going on at the midterm and uh, and everything else. But in in the quaint old times of 2020, we impeached a president twice named Donald Trump, and one of them was based on Donald Trump's improper, impeachable conduct towards somebody who's now a rock star hero, which is uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. 
Um, but at the time was the newly elected former comic, former former comic movie star yeah, exactly. of, of Ukraine. Talk People shows. forget he was like the Mr. Bean of of Ukraine. Uh, I'm probably insulting both of them by saying that. But he was more and, like like you know John Stewart of Ukraine. All right, so John Stewart of Ukraine, but he was he was in comedies. He was like a yeah. live act, you know. So, but at the time he was, and everybody was trying to figure out if he had the metal, if he had the the cojones to be a elected leader of a country like Ukraine in the shadow of, of Putin. And a lot of people try to take advantage of him. One of them was Donald Trump, who made the now infamous phone call. This is all in the record. You can play the tape in front of then Lieutenant Colonel um, Alex Vidman, who, who, is a, who is a twin, who is Ukrainian-American, Jewish. He and his brother both went to West Point, were both lieutenant colonels both working in the national security count working on the national security council he was a ukraine expert obviously spoke the language and all and was in the room for the phone call in which trump in tried to set up an illegal quid pro quo to extort zelensky that i basically that the government would not provide 400 million dollars in military aid i mean look where we are now and 400 million dollars in military aid unless zelensky established a special prosecutor to go after Hunter Biden through Burisma. So Burisma Hunter Biden is the goal of the president, not wearing his hat as the leader of the free world, but as a crass, craven politician trying to get reelected against what he thinks is going to be Joe Biden and, and dangling the $400 million carrot in front of him. Vitman was so forty million dollars that Congress had already approved. Had already approved, so it wasn't his to withhold. Exactly, he had he had no right to withhold that yep. from him, but used it to extort or extract this political result that he wanted. So Vitman, being a patriot, um, being an adult, went and reported what happened, not to the media, but to people above him in the chain of command that he witnessed an improper attempt by the President of the United States to extort a foreign leader by withholding congressionally approved funds um, and an attack on Joe Biden through his son, Hunter Biden. And for that, he became the one of the lead witnesses during, um, let's call it impeachment number one. Roman numeral one is like Super Bowl. Roman numeral one impeachment. And of course, as paybacks, as paybacks for anyone in his administration or around the West Wing that testified against him, including uh, uh, Gordon Sun uh, Sunland and now Vindman, he fired them. So he couldn't fire them from the military, but he removed them from the National Security Council. He uh, would not, as the commander in chief, approve his well-earned promotion to full bird colonel. It kept him as a lieutenant colonel. And, and then, adding insult to insult, or insult to injury, he, along with Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump Jr., and others, started a campaign in the media to call uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vittman, somebody who was not a patriot, who was a traitor, who was lying, who was a spy for Ukraine, and, and everything else that's disgusting and unimaginable against a person who's a patriot, person who came to this country with his brother and his family as a young child, who not only took the United States and being a U.S. citizen seriously, he, he gave his highest 
um, contribution to patriotism. He went to West Point, became an officer, went into the military, became an advisor to the National Security Council about the country that he was born in. I mean, you couldn't ask for a bigger patriot than uh, Vidman. So Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, having been fired, having his promotion denied, Biden eventually got him his promotion, by the way, because that's what a mature adult person you can look up to does, filed a lawsuit about six months ago in federal court in Washington. Um, it was brought by Project Democracy. We've talked about projectdemocracy.org in the past. They, they're the ones that are currently handling the case brought by the two election workers in Fulton County against uh, Rudy Giuliani that we talked Shane about Moss. last. Shane Moss and her mother. Um, and they're handling that case as well and handling a lot of cases like this around the country. But they're handling the case for Lieutenant Colonel Vidman. And it was very interesting. Um, the premise of the case is using uh, a, a law from after the uh, during the Reconstruction period, after the Civil War in this country, that is re commonly referred to as the KKK Act, which is 42 USC 1985, which says that if you're doing something in a conspiracy to prevent a federal officer from performing their duties, then you are guilty of a federal crime in interfering with that person's official function. And Vittman did not bring, although it sort of sounded like a defamation case, it really wasn't a defamation case. It was really a case under this unique statute. But meanwhile, the judge ruled Correct. that he didn't meet the standard for defamation. Yeah, so the judge, let's talk about that. So the but judge, it, which was an Obama appointee, look, listen, we're a equal opportunity uh, legal podcast here. We're going we're gonna to call balls and strikes no matter who the judge is. This is an Obama appointee, uh, Judge uh, Borberg. And Judge Borberg not only said on a, in response to a motion to dismiss bought, brought by Giuliani and Don Jr. that the KKK Act elements were not met by all of these allegations, even if they were assumed to be true. While they were bad, while they were, he called it political hackery, while they were outside the norm of proper political discourse, they didn't rise the level of interference with his official duties or an attempt to intimidate him as a witness. And he couldn't connect the dots, this is the judge speaking, in his pleading about a conspiracy, meaning a tacit agreement between one, between two or more people, the object of which is a crime. And the judge spent a considerable amount of time talking about Judge uh, uh, Dabney Friedlich's ruling uh, down the hall, uh, one of his fellow judges, about the lawsuits that were raised about the clearing of Lafayette Square, the park behind the White House, when Donald Trump tried to do a uh, television opportunity moment, a teleop, to go with his upside down Bible, cross the park to go to church for the first time in his life. He doesn't, he rarely goes, the last time he was really in church is either at a funeral or a wedding. He really is not a regular churchgoer, despite what he tries to portray himself as. And there was a lot of lawsuits about how aggressive law enforcement, primarily Capitol Police and the military was in, in removing protesters from Lafayette Park to allow the president to, trans, to, trans, uh, to transfer through it and get to the church. And those suits were also dismissed because the court in those cases found, again, that there was not a conspiracy among all of these actors to commit a federal crime. 
and this judge here with Judge with uh, Colonel Vidman said the same lack of conspiracy dooms his lawsuit right now, even at the pleading or complaint filing stage. But talk a little bit, Karen, about why you think the judge also went on to talk about um, any potential defamation case that Vidman may bring and what he said in regards to that. Because I think he was trying, I think that was what the unlawful conduct. He was trying to say, you know, as, as yeah. you said, a conspiracy um, has to be an agreement between two or more people and the agreement has to be to do something unlawful and it can't just be something unpleasant or unsavory, you know, for a civil conspiracy, in, it has to be something unlawful and then there has to be an unlawful overt act. Uh, all the other overt acts don't have to be. And an overt act means you've taken a step towards, you can't, Popak and I can sit here and talk about how we want to, to steal this, uh, this podcast equipment and take it home. So it is we, very lovely. So that we have a better podcast studio. Um, but talking about it, although it would be a crime, is not enough. We have to actually do something towards it. So maybe I have to unscrew this or mm -hmm. I have to you know, do something. Just I don't have to accomplish it. I don't have to even successfully do it. But I but I do have to take a step towards take a it. Step toward it. Yeah. So 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 that's what the elements are that uh, had to be shown here in in this case. And I think that what the judge in his ruling was saying, and the reason he did defamation um, was he was saying that would have been the unlawful act that that occurred. And so he, he went through a painstaking review about what the law of defamation, defamation requires. Now, first of all, the truth is a complete defense to defamation. So if something is true, then it's not defamatory. Opinion is also something uh, that's a defense to um, defamation. And we've talked about this before on numerous episodes. If you remember, there are different standards for defamation. There's the regular negligence standard for just normal everyday people. And then there's the um, actual malice, much higher standard. You have to prove actual malice if somebody's a public figure or a limited purpose public figure. And um, and we discussed in the in the last week, I think it was the, the Shea Moss and, and her mother case, whether or not they're gonna be found to be limited purpose public figures. The judge here said that Vinman is a limited purpose public figure and that um, even taking the facts in the light most favorable to him, that they didn't meet the actual malice standard. So so the case is over. He, he... Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a, an ability to appeal that. I think um, public uh, the uh, uh, the uh, democracy group that's supporting Vitman may actually do that. And just so just to be clear, while the court was not commenting on sort of individual acts of defamation or intimidation, he couldn't find the conspiracy between two or more people to do it. So basically five different people independently without coordination can do something bad to you and you'll have five individual claims against them. But if your statute that you're relying on requires a conspiracy at the heart of it, yeah. which this KKK Act does, you gotta find that there's find a, a connection. there's a connection between wow. the we call it or you've called it in prosecutor a world, I'm sure. Hub and spoke. Yeah. It's a bike wheel with a hub in the middle and the spokes coming out. If all you have is spokes, right, you don't have a hub, you've got individual cases, but you don't have a conspiracy. You know what also struck me about this case is um, Donald Trump Jr even more than his other siblings. He's really a mean-spirited 
really vindictive. You watch his videos? I, I, I only try, do it for commentary. I try not to. Yeah. He's, I just, he's, he's everything that just rubs me the wrong way about certain types of people. You know, he's this very, like, talk, he, put, put aside any sort of, like, there's no congeniality, there's no anything. He's just a douche and a yeah. jerk. Well, we saw it, we saw it on full display um, with, uh, with Paul Pelosi's being, you know, hor- totally. horribly, horribly attacked yeah, he, he by that, an intruder. He, he tweeted out underwear yeah. and, and a hammer. And a hammer. This is a person who lost his mother down a flight of stairs several months ago. You didn't hear one. I mean, look, there was some people that made inappropriate comments. And actually, you and I shut down on a couple of podcasts and a couple of chat rooms about, you know, why were there so many pallbearers for somebody who was cremated and, you know, all sorts. I don't ply my trade and traffic in conspiracy theories, and I don't want our audience to either. We were very um, properly respectful of the loss of a wife and a mother during that grieving period, and we would never think to, uh, hey, I'm going to do a Halloween thing. I'm going to go as a staircase and a person falling down it. I mean, we, we, this would never be within the ken of Democrats. And you see, you know, the childishness of, of venturing into cruelty yeah, that is of, exhibited of by people he, like yeah, Don Jr. The things yeah. he said about, about Vindeman, I mean, as you were saying before, he's, he's a hero. I mean, yeah. but he's just, he's just a name-calling, vindictive, mean-spirited. I wonder where he learned that from. Yeah, but he is, I just don't, <laughs> people like that, I, it, it makes me really sad, you yeah. know, just what's happening to our country that, you know, it's not just bring back civility. It's just people have just become, well, he and his father are just very mean-spirited yeah. people who, Agreed. I don't know, I just really find him to be even worse than than the other. So on that upbeat note, we've reached the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF, a special edition. We hope everybody enjoyed having Karen and me in the podcast studio together at the same time as much as she and I enjoyed doing it this way. I loved it. Can we do it again? Yeah, we're going to do it again. Assuming people don't go, why are they in the same room? They shouldn't do it that way. Assuming people are supportive of what we're doing here, then Karen and I have committed to schlepping, another legal term, down to the Lower East Side from our respective offices and homes at least once a month, if not more, to PNT Knitwear Podcast Studio, Orchard Street on the Lower East Side. It's an amazing, amazing place. A lot of other podcasts could use this studio. And we uh, give a special shout out to all the fine folks here and letting us, inviting us to do this here at Legal AF for you. Um, If you are watching this, and I hope you are, uh, on video, whether on Facebook or on YouTube, do us a favor. It really helps the show. It's the one way that you really can contribute to what we're trying to do here and give us literally a thumbs up and help the show continue uh, in the way that we're doing it. And that is to go on to all of the platforms where you get your podcast from. I don't care if that's Apple Pod or Google or Spotify and subscribe, plus sign, follow, whatever it is on that podcast platform to Legal AF. And it's free. It's a free subscription. We don't charge you for it. We have, as you can hear, we have sponsors that sponsor the show. We have other ways to make sure that we keep the show alive. But you, I can't underestimate how important it is to the show that you follow, subscribe, or listen to the show on audio. And please go on uh, those different platforms and leave a review. 
I sound like an Uber driver. Leave a five star review <laughs> for us. We'll give you water. We'll give you we'll give you mints. Whatever, whatever you like. <laughs> it's really important to the show. Because when other people are looking for a legal and political podcast, let's be honest, we all read reviews. And these reviews are really, really important to us. So leave a review as well. So if you're watching it, listen to it. If you're listening to it, watch it. Lots of information at the midweek. You, you, you certainly could use at least two passes through it in order to absorb it all. And um, and and that's a way. We, we're not doing Patreon yet. Midas Mighty are doing Patreon, which is a subscription service. We're not there yet, but maybe one day, but we're not there yet. You can also go on the Midas uh, Touch merchandise store and you can contribute whatever you like and buy a T-shirt. A, a legal AF t-shirt. We've got a couple of versions of it. We got the Wheels of Justice long sleeve shirts for the fall and winter. And they're there as well. Another way to show your support. You can post a picture of yourself wearing a legal AF Wheels of Justice shirt on Twitter. I guarantee you some combination of Ben, me and Karen or all three of us will comment on it, like it and send it around Twitterverse. So we're hoping you do that as well. Karen, we've reached the end. What did you think about doing it live and in person? I loved it. I want to do it again. It was really I know. fun. I know. It was good to get out of the... I feel like children. Can we do it again, Mommy and Daddy? Can we do it again? I yes. Have, I should tell you, though, I am on, I'm not going to be here next week. Oh. I'm doing an actual trial. Wait a minute. Let's remind everybody that we are. We don't just play lawyers on television and podcasts. Yeah. We are lawyers. Yes. And you have a great... Well, talk, well, don't tell us about the trial, but is it a criminal trial, a civil trial? Criminal trial. There we go. So, Federal or state? State. Can't wait. State court, criminal, my, my very first trial as so great. a defense attorney. So wish me luck. All right. And it's going to be all next week. All next week. All right. We may, it might take us a bit to get back. Hopefully, we'll get back together really, really quickly. I'm going to be away for... Uh, Thanksgiving period as uh, as we we might have to press Ben into one of those marathon sessions where it's just Ben my Salas staring at a camera we'll see we'll see what we can do usually you and I find ways <laughs> to break it up and, yeah. <laughs> and jump yeah. back on there so shout out to the legal AF or shout out to the Midas Mighty and we'll see you somehow next week <laughs>